Spotify. We'll be streaming live soon. Please stand by. Good morning. You've got to love the book of Ephesians. By the way, by the time Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, which was written in Rome to the church at Ephesus, uh, the disciples were just beginning. So the ministry to Paul uh, is much older than the ministry of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the apostles. By the time that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were written, uh, Paul was already dead. And so it's one of the oldest books, one of the oldest letters uh, in, the, in the New Testament. And so this morning, uh, I want to share with you uh, eight admonitions or commands that Paul writes to help the church at Ephesus. And they're really interesting, okay? I mean, uh, uh, you can read it and you can sort of uh, make up your own mind about it, but it's, it's very, very uh, personal. And I'll read it to you. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness, righteousness, and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. But whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he said, Awake thou that sleepeth, arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See that ye walk circumspectively, not as are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding, what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, where is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Submit yourselves to one another in the fear of the Lord. There are eight of these commands here. And I want to have a little comment on each one of them as to sort of a light up a little bit. By the way, some of these commands are related to other gods. The rituals of those days and to the gods that were present in Ephesus in the Hellenistic culture were, were hundreds of them. And... Uh, also, the manner in which slaves were treated, especially women, is also strongly referred in these scriptures. And he's speaking to the church. First of all, I want to make a comment. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are you light. In other words, you were, but now you're light. And so... When I'm talking to you that live in China, those of you who live in Asia, those that used to be Muslims, 
those of you who are uh, experiencing the freedom and the grace of the gospel for the first time in your lives, I want to encourage you to not be accused or, or, or reminded uh, there's no such a thing in these scriptures, okay? Paul is simply saying, walk as children of the light. Do the best you can. Walk. And remember, there's grace and forgiveness for your sins. So let's take a look. The first command is, For ye are sometimes darkened, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. The idea of using the word children here has to do with learning how to do it. See, when you are an adult and you hear this scripture in these eight admonitions or commands, you just consider them in the light of your life. The sexual in you, the rebellious in you, the ugly in you, sort of run directly to what Paul is saying, and you condemn yourself right away. Notice that Paul introduces the commands by saying, you were, but you're not anymore. And so as you look at this, remember, now the third thing that he says, he says, walk as children. And children honestly make mistakes. You know, children are not all together. Children are sort of ignorant at times. Children do not quite follow the commandments properly. Children make mistakes, and that's the contest. Okay, so walk as children. Now let's go to the next one. You were, okay, uh, you all are the children of light in the children of the day. 1 Thessalonians 5.5, 5, we are not of night nor darkness. And so I want you to sort of look at these metaphors, darkness and light. It's talking about spiritual and moral conditions. Life versus saved. Evil versus goodness. Darkness here. Death versus life. So darkness here is a figure of life apart from God. Colossians 1.13 who says, Who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. So right off, uh, uh, this, this being delivered from the power of darkness, it is a transitional thinking. What I mean by it? It's something that you learn how to do it. Because we human beings have this idea that if we don't do right, we're no good. And the idea that we think of ourselves as no good is a dangerous idea. It's condemnation. It's accusation. It's from the pits of hell. Don't you get that? You are not going to be a saint in a few seconds. Bang, 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 you're saint. You are going to make mistakes. You are going to fall down. You are going to have to get up. You are going to have to praise the Lord. You are going to have to cry. You're going to have to move forward. And that's the way life is. So don't come up with any other idea that somehow uh, you're just born to be perfect forever. That's a bunch of hogwash. Okay, I said my piece. The idea of darkness here is related to the idea of not knowing God. Not understanding God. No wisdom, no revelation. The carnal mind totally lost and without life. The picture of life like that is darkness. Animal instinct takes over. Death takes over. And you are without conviction. 
Now that's the status of someone lost. And, and so I want you to look at this from a positive point of view. Because if you see from a positive point of view, you begin to work this out. Contrast light of the day to darkness of night. Now let's take a look at second, uh, the second command, command that uh, Paul writes in Ephesians 5, 8 to 21. He says, the, the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. Well, goodness is a quality of the Holy Spirit that brings healing. You know, the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, discerning of spirit, faith, work, and mere gifts of healing, prophecy, tongues, and interpretation. So when you go into the fruits of the Spirit, goodness falls into faithfulness. Healing, a healing quality of the Holy Spirit, goodness. The second is righteousness. It's a saving quality. And then truth is a sanctifying quality. So, what Paul is saying, because Paul wrote Galatians 5. Paul knows the fruits of the Spirit. Paul, 1 Corinthians 12, Paul wrote about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So he can work with both of these areas and, 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 and tag them together. And, and that's a connection that you have here. Because goodness, righteousness, and truth is a fruit of the Spirit of God. So, that's verse 9. Another command, third command, is verse 10. Testing what is acceptable unto the Lord. The idea of testing what is acceptable to the Lord is when you are a young Christian, you children of the light, you don't know where you're going. You step in a hole and you get up and fall in the other and you just struggle for this, you struggle for that and you are just all confused and uh, what do I do, Lord, with my life? I don't know what to do. I'm just struggling, Lord. God, speak to me. And, and, <coughs> and so He is saying to you on this command, test. See what God likes and what God dislikes. Now, you can do that or you can be in a hole most of your life. I'm no good. You know, I'm going to eat some worms, open the can and eat the worm. You're no good. You're bad, bad, bad boy, bad, bad, bad boy. And there's no grace in living like that. So love, joy, and peace and the gifts and the fruits of the Spirit are revelations of the Holy Spirit. How do you test what is acceptable to the Lord? As you operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Listen. If you want to do personal ministry and effective ministry outside of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, good luck. I like to see you eating dirt because <laughs> it's not going to work. In other words, love, joy, and peace are revelations of the Holy Spirit. Patience, kindness, and goodness are total healing. I told you, goodness is related to healing. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are a prophetic nature. Let me do say it again. Love, joy, and peace are related to revelation. Patience, kindness, and goodness are related to total healing. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are, are related in the prophetic nature. So, how do you test <laughs> what you're doing? Okay, let's say you are a Hellenistic, uh, you know, coiffer hair everywhere, mental here and there. You walk with a long sandals, you know, in long long Greek looks on your fingers of your feet and you coming up, up down the street from Ephesus just walking around, okay? And suddenly you see a bathhouse. 
and you feel dirty because you're sweating. So you go into the bathhouse and you take a bath, and, the, and there's the steam and the rocks and fire, and you sit there, and then you go back again. You clean again. Well, that didn't do nothing but clean a little sweat because, because the problem is in your spirit. The Christian don't take a shower to get clean. A Christian get a revelation from God to what he needs to do and see what the will of God is, what is acceptable to the Lord. And God will tell you. You know, I went to the store yesterday and I saw a big old slab of ribs. I mean, it was this big. And that in my mind, you know, I saw it in the grill. I saw it cooking. I saw it getting to be brown. And all the stuff I put on top of it, and I saw it dripping down the, down the, the grill, you know, bang, bang, ding, ding. And I felt that smell coming over my mind. And then I woke up and said, <laughs> I'm back into the world of sanity. If I eat a piece of rib full of fat like that, I'm talking about that my brain is going to be all greasy. <laughs> and so, <laughs> I deliver myself from the rib and walk away. Say thank you, Jesus. I don't blag it. I eat that. I I I test what's acceptable to the Lord for me. Now, in every area of life, you have to do that. And so, and so, how do you do it? You receive a revelation from God. You you ask the Lord to speak to you through a revelation mode in order to change. So, have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness but rather reprove them. And you probably would say, well, that, uh, that's all sexual. Unfruitful works of darkness is sexual related. You know, in other words, just dealing with pornography, dealing with this and dealing with that. Listen. It will be more unbearable for those of Sodom and Gomorrah in heaven than for those that lived in the city of Capernaum. You know, what God was saying, what Jesus was saying, is that the worst sin you can have is to refuse the Holy Spirit. Have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness. Number one is unbelief. It's theological garbage that produces no fruit, but makes you look good. You feel that, that little sense of, of pietistic concern. And the devil comes in, walks in inside, and, and begins to work your brain that you are hot stuff. That's, that, that is unfruitful works of darkness. <laughs> That's what unfruitful works of darkness is. is when, is, is when you, uh, pride rises from inside of you, and you become this person that people idolize. Now, the word here have nothing to do with it. You're going to like this. It translates, do not participate. The Greek verb here means to share with, to have a part in it. Do not go along with people when they do this. Now, the Greek text follows this. Fruitless works of darkness. Worthless 
deeds that belong to darkness, moral or spiritual darkness, where God's light has not penetrated. We can call it worthless things, as deeds have no value. What are deeds that have no value? It's when you write a check of $100,000 and you think that you are earning your salvation. <coughs> I remember a man came to my father in Brazil driving a Mercedes. He parked a Mercedes. Security called my father in the church and allowed the men to go there after they passed through the metal detector. You've got to do that in Brazil. Everybody's armed. I mean, even the preacher carries a gun in Brazil. And he came to my father and said, I came to bring an offering unto the man of God. And he put a million reais check on the desk. My father looked at him and says, I hate to tell you, but I can't take your money. There's blood in it. Now, when a man of God realizes that a worthless thing has no value, you detect it. You push it away. Okay? The lack of a value in deeds may also be expressed in deeds which do not help anyone. It only helps you. The figure of darkness is difficult to understand because, you know, darkness, things that are evil or sinful. But it's not just in sexual areas. It relates in social areas, in, in areas of, uh, of, uh, of civility, in areas of uh, authority, in areas of, uh, of food. I'm talking about, I, I, I tell you, I, I, I had a man, a friend called Bobby Tyson. He was an old evangelist. Ah, Father Paul, Holy Spirit, ah. Bobby Tyson. So he asked me to come to Chicago with him. And he wanted to treat me well. So we went into a fancy restaurant. And of course, you know, I'm just, uh, that I'm looking for some big meal. I'm hungry. And so there came the garçon, or in Portuguese, it, it, the maitre d', okay, carrying a little, a little, a little towel on his right hand. Carry the tower here. And then the plate right there. Right? He had the plate in his fingers, you know. And he just opened up and in front of me. The plate was this big. In the middle is is a little thing that <clears throat> I would say one bite and I'll have the whole thing. And I said, Oh God, I'm so disappointed. You know, I've been waiting for something that would really fill me up. And suddenly what I have is a... <coughs> right there. Nothing. Okay. And I, then I, I begin to look around the restaurant. And over here and over there and over there and over there. And everybody is just... <laughs> Wonderful. This is the best meal I've... Where is the man? Oh, all this! Oh my! The chef must be on fire today. And I'm sitting that day. I like to hit him with a ten by four, and it cost a hundred dollars to eat that meal. He paid a hundred dollars plus tax. 
Your idea of life is so messed up when you can't recognize a burger in the value of a burger. You just, you just have to have the $100 meal. You know, when I went to Atlanta with John Dunn to the uh, Brazilian embassy, and we passed by a restaurant that says, Little, little darlings. It was a restaurant that sold meat. Come and eat. A, a, little, a little darling. Just a piece of gourmet Japanese bugo meat. You see, that's darkness. That's evil. <laughs> what this is is making you believe that you are being satisfied when in fact you leave there hungry. It's a way to rob you blind and make you look good when in fact you're hungry and broke. In other words, the Bible says, reprove it. I'm reproving that restaurant in the name of Jesus. I bind the maitre d' and the, the cook from robbing people without a gun. Bring them out of light translates Greek verb, which is the most places means reprove, condemn, censor. John 3.20 Without some degree of caution, a literal rendering of bring them out to the light is, ref- is likely to refer to people rather than the things that they do. And it's in fact it's true. Bring them out of darkness into the light. It's talking about people. You know, one of these guys who goes throughout the world and, and sharing food and, uh, and, and, and the raw with uh, the Asians, the Greeks, the English, uh, the poor, the Af- Africans, you know, uh, he has a show on TV. And last year, this man that traveled worldwide for, I don't know how long, years, committed suicide. You know why he committed suicide? It's because what he did had no life in it, no joy in it. And so the idea of bringing them out of the light, bringing them out to light, may be difficult to understand uh, in this context, and it's difficult to bring events into light, people into light. But what it refers in here is greater than small things. Sins over here are not talking about how, how do you feel about this, how do you feel about that, and, and, and sexuality that is depravity, not able to understand your mind because when you are a sexual person and you are totally isolated from expression or relating to people, you, you live a life inside of your brain. And that's just a sin in itself. You know, I, I may, I, I, I'm loving a cat these days. Now, you might say, Rick, why are you, lo- why are you loving a cat? It's because I've got to love something. So I found a cat under my office that I call Angelina, and I'm feeding Angelina every single day. You know, I prefer to love that cat than, than let my mind wander about what I'm supposed to love. Look, refers to situations in culture that are greater than sin, than a person's sin. I'm talking about abortion. I'm talking about killing the innocent. I'm talking about discrimination. I'm talking about social injustice. I'm talking about killing for political reasons. Works of darkness. 
Now, I don't know the number of this one, but uh, this one, this command says, Awake thou that sleepeth. Arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Awake from lethargy, apathy. You know, it's something that I have to fight every day. You know, I do the same things every day. I get up, have my prayer time, you know, and then after my prayer time, I'll go upstairs and I'll try to find some clothing. <laughs> oh, gosh, you got to help me. You know, you got to help me. It's a... And then after I get what I'm going to wear, I'm, I go downstairs and drink a cup of coffee and get something to eat. Take a shower first, and then I get on the car and I drive here. Eight o'clock, I'm here, and I stay here until 9.30. Then I go downstairs and I prepare the next Bible study. I make a bunch of phone calls and I meet people and pray for people. I mean, I do that 24-7. I don't have time to be apathetic about nothing. I don't want to be apathetic about nothing. I don't want to be feeling like I don't belong. I, I want to have a sense of need and urgency. And I live on this idea that the kingdom is taken by force. You know, We as a ministry keep on, keep on thinking of the people that respond to us, and they don't respond. And so you have to kick it. You have to... Because they're apathetic. They're lethargic. You know the idea of a camera lenta is like this. I would like to talk with you about Jesus. That's dead. That's stinking dead. It just makes me sick when I go to a church and the guy is just a mouth on the microphone and you can't even hear him talk. Apathy. Uh, people are pathetic. You know, I saw a man sitting in a Braves game with a belly the size of a basketball. And he is sitting. I'm not going to a Braves game and go to sleep. Hit that ball, man. Hit it. Come on. I want to see a home run. Come on, Acuna. Give me a home run. <laughs> in other words, apathy and lethargically. It's really sad and you don't want to get involved in that. Now, where I am here, I lost a little bit. Let me go back here. Amen? Okay, good. Now, let's go to another one. So, most Christians, let me finish this, are sleepwalkers. Drifting their sleep, not understanding the evil of the day. And you got to... I was talking to Cindy in the office. Shock them. Where you been? I've been calling you. My goodness gracious... They're just, oh, I like to go to Brazil. I don't know what to do. Read the mail. Read it. We're leaving on the 31st of July. Send a return back to the office. Wake up, you there, people from going to Brazil. Wake up. I'm calling you to wake up. Next command. See. That you walk super circumspectively, careful, not as a fool, but wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. It's a mark of wisdom, really. Only fools drift with the wind and tide. A wise man set out the course, sets the sail, guides the rudder, 
in, in order to reach the destination which is there. The fool let the rudder go anywhere and begin to drink a beer. When a man wants to build a house, he first draws the plans and he knows what he's doing. How many Christians plan their days so that they are used as opportunities to be wise? True. We cannot know what a day may bring forth, James 4.13. But it is also true that a planned life can be better when dealt with in unexpected events. I'm, I'm a very careful person about planning for the future, waiting and doing this, taking care of this. And suddenly I find that planning, organizing pays off. When the pilot does not know what port he is going to be headed for, the wind is not no ever the right wind. I don't know. There's no wind today. I can't see. You got to put your head as where you're going. And so this verse of scripture that says, "Walk circumspectively," it means walk as if you are planning your day, and you will take no for an answer that you're going to do what God called you to do that you are going to be victorious. Amen? I'll stop right here. The Lord bless you and minister to you. Walk circumspectively and redeem the time. And don't be a fool. Do it right in front of you. And hang on to it in Jesus' name. Amen? Lord bless you. Eu quero ser um testemunho, remove o